Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I'm back, Schmelk Meadow, with you. 201-939-4513. It's been more than a week since we've chatted and a lot going on in the National Football League. The show is brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Welcome. How are you, Lance? I'm doing all right. How are things with you? I'm good, and a lot of news dropping yesterday in the National Football League. Obviously, oh, yeah. the playoffs going on. We could touch on that if you want. But the most recent development is a lot of the head coaching vacancies, and there were plenty, are being filled. And I feel like, Lance, if you're an NFL coach, when you show up to your interview, the first thing you should do is find some type of photographic evidence that you once interacted with Sean McVay. <laughs> and if you did that, you have a good chance at getting a job. I couldn't believe it. And the hires that happened yesterday, I'm not sure if they're all official yet, but the ones that have been reported, uh, Bruce Arians to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is not McVay-related. Matt LaFleur going to the Packers. That is McVay-related. And then you have Cliff Kingsbury going to the Cardinals, which on the surface does not appear to be McVay-related until I saw the Cardinals press release. Yes, a light, Where it a nice actually nugget. says in the press release, Kingsbury, comma, who is friends with Sean McVay. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're really skilled at Photoshop, maybe you can Photoshop yourself next to, Mc, next to McVay like watching film, and you can become a quarterback's coach somewhere. Your thoughts? Yeah, I got a chuckle out of that too. I'm actually surprised, instead of going that route, and in fairness, McVay did offer Kingsbury a gig with the Rams after he was let go by Texas Tech, but that doesn't necessarily mean much of anything. They didn't work together, so I understand that, but... If I'm the Cardinals, John, why not sell the fact, forget McVay, why not sell the fact that Kingsbury played a year with the Patriots in 2003? So why not sell the fact that he worked with Tom Brady and he worked with Bill Belichick? Why not do that? That's the route that I would have went. Isn't that a stronger selling point than Sean McVay or being friends with him or having a phone conversation? What happens if the Rams lose this weekend? Which, by the way, is not out of the question. No. The way the way Dallas has played against yeah. top offenses this year, and the, the fact, frankly, that the Rams' offense has come back down to earth a little bit too the last half of the year, um, and frankly, they played a very soft schedule in terms of the defensive they they faced. Well, the Cowboys have been really good against playoff offenses. If you look at the trend so far this season, and top offenses in the league as well. So then what? And look, Sean McVay's done a great job with the Rams, and I'm not trying to minimize his his skills or ability of a coach, but. Boy, people are really, you know, jumping the shark a little bit on how quickly they're trying to roll down that train. And I get you want to find the modern offense, and there are certain things you can do offensively in the league that I know a lot of teams don't do that are that provides a quick path to being a better offensive team. I get all that, and I'm 100% in favor of all that stuff. That's great. That's wonderful. But the guys don't want a playoff game yet. Small resume still. Turn things around. It deserves a lot of credit to your point. Of course. And they carry that over and continued that here in 2018, but he has yet to win a playoff game. The other thing that I find just difficult to wrap my head around right now, John, and, you know, we talked about this last year when the Giants were looking for a coach and you know, opinions all across the board, but a big part of coaching is not just scheme. It's about leading a group of men. It's about overseeing a team, motivating. There's so many other characteristics to me that jump out about what a head coach should present. I'm going to quote Dave Gettleman. It's a CEO position. Yeah, and it seems as if what I'm seeing across the board now, Bruce Arians, in fairness, he's synonymous with CEO. He's had previous head coaching experience. Sure. He's not just a schematic type of guy. So I have no problem with that. But when you look at some of these young, unproven individuals like the Matt LaFleurs, like the Cliff Kingsburys, uh, And at least Kingsbury was a head coach He was Texas a head coach. Tech. That, that's fair. 
you I feel as if teams are just looking for that guru, that offensive innovator who's got an unbelievable stack playbook, John, that they're dying to diagram across the board and catch defenses right. and offenses across the board off guard. But to me, it's about can the guy enter a locker room when he talks, does he command the respect of the entire locker room? Do defensive players and offensive players respond to what he's selling? Can he sit down with the captains and spell out the identity of the team, the culture of the team? Those are the types of things to me that if I'm an owner, if I'm a GM, I'm investing in that. I want to discover that before I'm always concerned about what is he going to do from a schematic standpoint. Yeah, and can he keep the team together when things go poorly? Can he navigate off-field issues that come up? All All those those big personalities. A lot of that is a big part of being a head coach. So... Let's kind of go through the hires. We talked about Kingsbury a little bit. Obviously, the air raid offense at Texas Tech. Now, people say, well, he didn't win at Texas Tech, so why would he win at the NFL? College football has so much to do with recruiting that it's not like he's rolling in there with the same talent as Alabama at Texas Tech, all right? (laughs) He only wishes. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't go nuts about his record at Texas Tech. I think it's a matter of how they play, and I think he'll be good offensively. I think it'll be good for Josh Rosen to try to kind of move him along. I think Arians is a good fit, Lance, in Tampa. Jameis Winston, a big arm. They like to throw down the field. They have guys like Mike Evans there. I think, again, offensively, that works. The LaFleur thing to me is a little confusing. What is it about the Titans' offense? And I've watched them three or four times this year, and I've watched the tape in in preparation for the Giants game uh, against the Titans late in the year. There's nothing spectacular there. No, they did not have an electric season statistically. I will give you that. Here's, to me, the selling point from Matt LaFleur. The selling point, John, is his experience working with a variety of different quarterbacks at various levels of their career. And if you don't want to put much stock in that, that's fine. But I think that's where Green Bay was coming from. You need somebody to work with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's a big part of who you're bringing in. Or is it do you need someone there to let Aaron Rodgers do whatever he wants? Well, maybe that's the other way to spin it, too. Which seems to be what Aaron (laughs) Rodgers wants, right? But in fairness, I'm not going to (laughs) disagree with you. But but in fairness, LaFleur, to me, what I find appealing about him is He's groomed young guys. For example, he's worked with Jared Goff in L.A., and I understand he wasn't the play caller, but he was still working with them. you got to give him credit for that. He worked with a young Kirk Cousins in Washington. He worked with a young RG3. He worked with Rex Grossman, who was a veteran quarterback before Kirk Cousins took over. And then at the same time, he also worked with Matt Ryan. Remember, he was in Atlanta under Kyle Shanahan for a few seasons. So you're talking about somebody that can handle personalities at different levels of their career. That, to me, was one of the selling points. The other thing is, and you know, you alluded to this, I would not get caught up in what an offense ranks at the previous coach's stint. And the reason being, John, Mike McCarthy, you know what the Niners offense ranked? He was the offensive coordinator in 2005 before the Packers hired him in 06. I'm assuming it was pretty bad. 32nd in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They were not very good. They had a rookie quarterback by the name of Alex Smith, and clearly Alex Smith has went on to bigger things, but it took him time for stability to develop around him. So I don't know how much you can get caught up in, and it goes back to your point about college football, John. College football, you're working with different talent, but isn't it fair to say it's one thing to be working with Marcus Mariota and Blaine Gabbard. It's another thing to then be working with Aaron Rodgers, different defensive personnel, different offensive personnel. When you get your hands on different talent, I mean, we've even seen that with the Giants and coaches at previous stops. It can change your level of productivity and execution. I agree, but at the same time, what we saw from McVay going to St. Louis or L.A., for example, you saw a big jump, right? Oh, yeah, he went in, in terms there, of compared was, to Fisher. It was black and yeah, white. That's fair. You know, 180-degree turn. Did we see 
any improvement from the Titans from when he showed up? I mean, Mariota kind of looked like the same guy. No? He was banged up, though, in fairness. He was. Stafford That's true. had to fill in. He That's didn't necessarily true. have his quarterback. I just didn't see anything when I watched that tape that said, wow, that is a hell of a creative offense. If they had better players, I think this thing could be a monster. I, I I didn't see that. But that's just me. No, I think that's a fair point. The one thing I, though, think he deserves credit for, I thought the running game came along in the latter part of the season. At the end of the year, it did. I mean, yes. first part of the season, John, they were not doing anything with Derrick Henry. And Deion Lewis is not necessarily a workhorse. Second half of the season, Henry came alive. And, you know, you want to say, oh, well, look at the defenses. I still think Jacksonville's defense is legit. No, it is. It's they just legit. didn't execute this year mm-hmm. as good as they did the previous year. So I think he deserves some credit for that. That's fair. But you're right. It, it wasn't electric, and it wasn't an offense that jumped off the page. I mean, even you can argue Sean McVay, with what he was doing in Washington, you felt perhaps had a little bit more upside. No question. Right, and he mm-hmm. would carry that over to the Rams. You don't get that feel with LaFour, but I'm bringing up the Mike McCarthy point. No, fair. Because I think, it's listen, fair. people were probably poo-pooing on that, and then the last time I checked, that worked out pretty well. And our good buddy Dave Dominic, two reports just coming in. These both from Ian Rappaport. And I'm happy this guy finally got a job, as he deserves it. The Broncos are expected to hire Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio as their new head coach, and he deserves it. He's been one of the best defensive coordinators in football for years, going back to when the Giants faced the 49ers in the NFC Championship game back in 2011 season, 2012, was when the game was actually played. He's wonderful. He's a great coach, well-deserved. I think that's a good hire, and I got to imagine Kubiak will now end up being their offensive coordinator. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that's going to be the match, and that's the right path to take. Yeah. Because, John, if you have a defensive-minded head coach in this league, it's important to have a legitimate offensive coordinator, a polished OC, who I like has head coaching experience. Because if you're Vic Fangio, you can say, Gary, take care of business. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have any say or influence, but right. you know he could go to his corner of the room, his corner of the facility, and he could take care of business. I'm with you. It's about time Fangio got a look as yeah. a head coach. My goodness, what coach. else does this guy got to do? No, he doesn't. And by the way... Fangio shows up there. He's got really good corner in Harris. He's got two really good pass rushers in Chubb and Von Miller. So he's going to step in there and be like, yo, I got some players here. This is not like a rebuild defense for the Broncos. i got to add some pieces to get him better, but he's going to have a lot to work with over there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. He's coming from a Chicago defense that's stacked at yes. every level of the defense. So you figure, all right, if I'm going to get a head start and go to a different team, let me at least go to a team that has some semblance of defensive pressures as well as the ability to make plays on the back end. And you're right. I, I like the makeup of the defense, also the structure of what they play they in terms of their alignment, yep. which is exactly mm-hmm. what he's doing in Chicago. So that's another good connection. And to me, Fangio reminds me of Mike Zimmer. A hundred percent. Right? Great comparison. Great. Zimmer, mm-hmm. think about, John, how long Zimmer waited to finally get a head coaching gig. And then it was a good fit in Minnesota. You could say all you want about their disappointment this season, but that should not take away from what he's done and turn things around. But also what I liked about what Mike Zimmer did, and I understand it was short-lived with North Turner, but that was his first offensive coordinator. And now is going to have Gary Kubiak, another guy, previous head coaching experience, has been around the block. I think they're synonymous with one another in terms yeah. of the parallels. And I'm not sure if Kubiak wants to be a head coach again with his health issues. So that might be a guy. And that's always the worry when you hire a good head coach and you get, oh, I got this big-time coordinator. How long is he going to be there? Because another team is going to come hire him. I'm not sure if that's going to be an issue with Kubiak. The other report, and frankly, I can't argue with this one either. Ian Rappaport announcing the Browns are going to retain offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens and promote him. 
to be their new head coach. And look, I don't know how he handles, you know, a locker room and how what kind of leader or CEO he is, but it's hard to argue with the job he did with Baker Mayfield after Hugh Jackson was let go with that offense. So if they believe he can lead that locker room and run the CEO part of it, it's hard to argue with keeping continuity in Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens. Especially for a young quarterback. Yeah. Listen, the last thing you want to do, John, is change schemes left and right. So I'm with you there. I like what Kitchens did in the second half of the season when he took over. I also like what I see in terms of his connection with Baker Mayfield. He defended Mayfield, if you remember, when some controversy came to the forefront. But this is what I don't understand. And maybe it's the unpopular view. And I don't want to hear about Bounty Gate. But I actually thought Greg Williams did a nice job running that team. I think he did too. But I think in general, Greg Williams is a bit of a clown. And I wouldn't want him coaching my team. Okay. Well, let's not beat around the bush. And let's get right to the point here. <laughs> because because what, I guess what I'm getting at is Kitchen. I don't like his personality at all. Okay. That's well, just me. well, if Kitchens did a good job with the offense, which he did, why mess with that? I mean, why not have Kitchens just focus solely on the offense and Williams, say all you want about his personality or whatever. I, I just think he, as a former head coach, has a little bit more experience than Kitchens, too. Mm -hmm. And he can run a defense and be the head coach at the same time because he's done that previously. So if I'm Cleveland, if I'm John Dorsey, and I evaluate what happened in the second half of the season, I'm just wondering why not see it play out for a year before maybe you tinker with it. That's my only question. I get where you're coming from, and the logic makes sense. Greg Williams is not the individual that I want to be the representative of my football team. And the guy that's responsible for um, connecting with the players and being uh, – he, I don't – I'm not a Greg Williams guy. So we're going to have to agree to disagree. Well, you one. clearly made that yes. clear with the commentary. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no point to going on. We are going to agree to disagree. Yes, and that's but, fine. But the, the other thing that also is interesting – And I want. And by the way, if it was yeah. any other guy in that situation that wasn't Greg him. Williams, okay. I'd be okay with it. Well, I do not like well, Greg Williams. Well, real quickly, Williams. though, does, that's this, just personal. does this stem, though, from Bounty it's Gate or is there it. more to it? It's part of it. That's part of it. Okay. Well, that's why I wanted clarity because a lot of people bring that up. I'm the type of person that tends to move on from those things, but I just wanted to at least – to me. Get some clarity from you. Something like that shows the inner character of a person. And I think it's very important to have a high character person in the position of head coach for your franchise. And that would worry me. It's and just, that's how I look at well, it. Well, I'm also coming from I've done. Hey, by the way, one more thing. Yeah. Dan Graziano, the Browns have relieved defensive coordinator Greg Williams <laughs> of his duties. It is no longer with the team. Nice timing. Sorry, I had to let you know. No, no, that, that's fine. Going. Well, I'm going to shed a tear and uh, get some tissues after the program. I will not shed a tear or get no, a tissue at the yeah. end of the program. No, I, Thank I, you, Dave. I, I still am a little <laughs> bit surprised by this move. Once again, putting aside your feelings about Greg yes. Williams, John, what, what I'm a little bit baffled here is that. All in all, I thought the Cleveland defense actually was quite productive this season. And honestly, and, and honestly, one of the reasons I don't like Williams is that his track record as a defensive coordinator, frankly, has been poor well, recently. Fair. But he was—he actually did do a pretty good job this year. At Cleveland. This team I, had I takeaways. They had a lot of young players that I thought developed well. Once again, you know, I'm sure Dorsey sat down with Kitchens. He may have a guy in mind. Dorsey may have a guy in mind, and that's fine. Listen, the NFL is a lot about relationships. So while things surprise me, they really don't based on what we've seen. But that's a little surprising. It's one thing to say, hey, you're going to promote Kitchens, but I would think maybe Kitchens would have considered heavily keeping uh, Greg Williams around. So. He was also, I guess, Greg Williams was a Hugh Jackson guy, right? Maybe they wanted just, maybe they just wanted to clean. Apparently, Hugh Jackson left quite the odor, for lack of a better term, in Cleveland. There seems to be a little bit of an animosity there from some of the players, to be Well, and maybe that was John Dorsey's rationale. Lance, how about this? And, you know, I, I did not study the Browns this year, obviously, because 
the Giants didn't play him, and well, you weren't a fan of Greg Williams, so why would you study him? Do you know where they ranked in yards per game allowed this year? Take a guess. Yards per game allowed. Yards per game allowed. What do you think they? What do you think they ranked? I want to say middle of the pack, thirtieth. They were that low. Okay, I didn't. I. You know what? And I had no idea there. And points per game, they were twenty first. Takeaways, though, they were up there, right? I will check that in a Ta- second. Takeaways, Just, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were up there. Um, they were only 28th in the league in sacks per pass attempt and 28th in terms of rushing yards per game allowed. In terms of yards per play allowed, they were 15th. So that was a little bit better. Um, I can check takeaways I'm here for you. I'm pretty sure they're turnover different. I want to say uh, they were up there with Chicago or at least in the same vicinity. And, and that obviously, as you know, that is the ultimate deodorant where it hides a lot and of your problems. that's exactly what it did. They it were did. plus seven tied for eighth in the league, which is pretty darn good. Yeah. They had 31 takeaways. So that's nearly two a game. Yeah, and the Bears had yeah. 36. So like mm-hmm. I said, they were right up there. Yeah, they were tied for... Actually, they were second in the league in takeaways with 31. Right and behind the, Chicago. And Chicago with 36. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. Can some teams are able to take move takeaways from one or the other? Some teams aren't. So... Um, we don't want to spend too much time well, on the Well, we were talking about that, by yeah. the way, in reference to the Giants this season. And so. by the way, look at the Bears over the weekend. They've been doing it with defensive touchdowns and takeaways all year. They didn't get quite enough of those against the Eagles, and they couldn't come up with Well, them. they didn't do much of anything with them. That, well, to me, was the biggest issue. I mean, they did have two interceptions. Were but they plus one in that game or plus two? Did the Eagles have a turnover? The Eagles have a takeaway? I don't remember. I got a little bit light up. Not I'm important. Not exactly sure. I know the Bears did have two interceptions. They did. I know that because Foles true. was intercepted and, in the end zone. And I don't want to get into Foles, but I, later I'll talk about <laughs> Foles because that's nonsense too. Uh, the other coaching thing we should mention real quick because we're covering the topic is uh, Mike McCarthy. Um, he basically said, I want to coach the Jets. He must love Sam Darnold to death. Has got to be it. Uh, I'm gonna, I do not know your opinion on this, but I'm going to guess you think that would be a really good hire for the Jets. And it's hard to know what part of what happened in Green Bay was Rodgers freelancing and how much was it McCarthy and the scheme. I'll be honest, watching McCarthy's scheme, and I was always honest, I wasn't a huge fan of you know the West Coast under Ben McAdoo either, and that's from McCarthy. So I do have some concerns over how he runs things. I think he is a little conservative in his decision-making sometimes. Um, I don't – I like the stability of the hire. I'm – I don't like – it's funny. I like him more as the CEO than I like him as the play caller guy that runs the offense. It's kind of the opposite of Kingsbury. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like McCarthy as the head of a team. Yeah, So that's too. why I would be very fond of the Jets deciding to take him I would and like to him see him guy. bring in a young play caller that, that brings sense. in some collegiate concepts. That's what I'd like to see him do. If he did that, I'd feel a lot better about the hire. Yeah, because McCarthy also at a time, remember, while he was Green Bay's head coach, and this was something that we talked about when Pat Shermer was hired, and you know we had Brad Childress on. Is Shermer going to be the play right. caller and the head coach? McCarthy gave up some of his play calling responsibilities at a time during one stretch, and then he wound up taking him back. And again, how much is that his relationship with Rodgers? Well, it, that's what you want. No way to know. Well, but but I think that's the key here. I think that McCarthy, the reason why he thinks that this job is appealing to him is because he's probably saying to himself, I'm going to work from Aaron Rodgers to now a kid in the second year of his NFL career. And I think that that's probably much more appealing. So he doesn't have to worry about perhaps the ego, the big personality of Darnold and the fact that Darnold is going to wind up changing plays at the line of scrimmage yeah. 17 times. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that, to me, probably is why he finds this extremely attractive. Now, the other thing that I wanted to bring up on Mike McCarthy, and this goes back to the media narrative 
and people jumping to conclusions. Notice how when the Browns got rid of Hugh Jackson, the narrative became Mike McCarthy's going to the Cleveland Browns because Dorsey was in Green Bay. And it just goes to show you, regardless of what is reported and what everybody thinks is tied in, doesn't necessarily always work out to a T. So that was a huge story. McCarthy was immediately tied to the Browns opening, John, once Hugh Jackson was let go. And now they wind up promoting Freddie Kitchens yeah. And you didn't really hear much about McCarthy. And I don't think you even ever interviewed there, right? Didn't they delay or cancel the interview? And I'm not sure the interview ever happened, to be honest with you. And, and I think one thing that's been underrated about that Browns job, and obviously it is very attractive because of Baker Mayfield, I think the way ownership has cycled through a lot of people in the front office, leading to some level of instability, Lance, I think that's kind of been something that worries coaches a little bit when they go to a place. And I think uh, the Jets, for all the issues they've had, they have stable ownership in the Johnsons. So, um, so something to throw out there real quick. By the way, the uh, Bears were plus two. They were, pl- they were yeah, plus they were two plus in that two. game, and yeah. they still didn't win. But they, they, they didn't they, capitalize. They did not have a defensive score, and their offense didn't do much until um, Trubitsky got going there in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. Anyway, 201-939-4513. Anything you want to talk about in the NFL, or, of course, everything New York Giants, we're here. Let's get to the calls and start with Len in Columbia, Maryland, who will lead us off today. Len is rarely the leadoff hitter. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> How you doing, guys? Happy How are to hear you? you. Same to you. Yeah, yeah. First time I talked to you since the season ended. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took a little while to get over that, uh, <laughs> those last three games. That yeah. was... Um, Pretty frustrating, demoralizing. I, I thought we'd, you know, I, I thought we'd get one, two, all three of those games. I thought we were playing well enough to do that two games at home. Len, the bottom line, the defense. I couldn't find progress. I can't find them. I'm looking. We don't have to discuss it now. I had some other things I'd like to talk to you about. But I, I could really, I, I couldn't find any progress from 17 to 18. No, no, Len, 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 I don't think that's fair. I think you saw a lot of progress offensively in the second half of the year. They ran the ball more consistently. They averaged 27 points per game, which is 10 points more per game than they did the previous year. So I think that's big progress. The big problem you have right now, you got to find playmakers on defense. Guys that can get after the quarterback and get stops when you need them. That's the next step in the progress that this team needs. And you you got to solidify the right side of the offensive line. If you do those things, you'll be okay. Okay, I, I always, you know, I always respect your opinion. I, I had trouble doing it, um, you know, three and thirteen, uh, five and eleven, back to back. Let me, let me, let me give you a number. Sure. Um, although it may not relate specifically to the progress point, but let me just lay this out on you. Forty-two years. You got to go back to the fourteen-game schedule to find back-to-back seasons with as few as eight wins. Well, the 70s were a rough decade, Len. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's going back pretty far. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, I guess there's some semblance of, of, of progress. Those, it was pretty desperate there at the end. You know, tennis, Tennessee fans in the stadium on a rainy day, the players that was a rough jumping, day. Up, yeah. jumping up and down in our day. end zone when the ball game was over. That was a bad day. That was a bad day, Len. All around yeah. the weather, yeah. the result, then, the then, offense then, was know, all bad. Surrounded by Dallas Ugly fans day. and losing that game to Dallas, which, which I think we should have won. And I mean, it was pretty, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Mr. Mara feels the same way. I'm sure he but, does. All right, onward and upward. I, I got them. I'm working my way through it. <laughs> and I'm back to it. Let me let me make a you know a couple of couple of comments on the coaching changes. Sure. And um, 
I'd sure like to have a transcript of the conversation between Dorsey and Williams when he told Williams he was hiring Kitchens as a head coach. I'm sure Greg Williams was not happy. You know, I, I'm sure he yeah, let the expletives fly. <laughs> and then the only other thing, I guess, John, I'm in your camp, although Lance wasn't far behind on this either. Um, the, the sooner Greg Williams gets out of the league, the better for me. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to see that guy in the league. He's just, he's just a bad guy. Just a bad guy. And, um, you know, McCarthy may be interested in the Jets' job because that may be the only job he's got a shot at. Well, I'm based sure on what we're lot, seeing with respect to the market, plus, McCarthy. no, you're, you're right, Len. I mean, and then you look at the fact that two more vacancies now got filled today, so you take that into yeah. consideration. You're right. I think he's yeah. honing in on the Jets' gig. I think he finds that to be the most attractive gig. And he also has said that he's willing to sit out the season if nothing comes to fruition. So I don't think he's necessarily in a position where he's desperate. I just wonder how much there is, how much interest there has been, other than in the media, um, for Mike McCarthy to get a head coaching job this year. And he may be just reaching out saying, uh, you know, that's the one I really want, but I'll sit out if I don't get that one. But all right, we'll we'll see. And, and John, an apology um, uh, a month ago, you said to me after we were having a conversation after the Redskins game, and you said to me, what do you think the chances are that Gruden uh, stays around? And I said, oh, I think Gruden's done. And I think, uh, you know, Allen, the general manager, is also done. But it looks like uh, Mr. Snyder looked around and didn't see anybody better than Gruden. Uh, you know, too many vacancies, and everybody's trying to get the same people. Yeah, it's true. And so he, so I think he, he just stayed with Gruden. Now, what he's going to do with Allen, I don't know. Um, he's got a problem on the business side that he needs to take care of, and maybe that's where he's going to move Allen yeah, he, yeah, he actually, to bring in the general manager. Yeah, he yeah, actually, I'm sorry. He, no, no I'm you're sorry. fine. You're fine. He actually let go of his top guy on the business side, right, this offseason? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who came, he was only with him for like six months. And uh, the guy had an interesting philosophy about dealing with how to get people in that stadium. Uh, and, you know, he started announcing that we got tickets available. And I don't think Mr. Snyder liked the emphasis on tickets being available. Huh. <laughs> and but the time, by the time the season was over, I guess he guy, – the guy wasn't with him for like, only like six months. And yeah. he brought other people from the NFL office. Uh, you know, to help out with running the business side of the organization. So maybe he's going to move Allen over there and maybe try to get a general manager or a director of football operations. Maybe he won't even call him a general manager. He'll call him a director of football operations. Well, but Allen's event, background, Len, um, is my, on the my, business my side. My forecast so. of Gruden was yeah. uh, uh, getting fired was, was wrong. And, uh, you know, good for Gruden. He's an okay coach. Well, he's but Len, okay why coach. would you get rid of Gruden? I mean, he was down to his fourth string quarterback. He yeah. lost his entire offensive line. Yeah. Chris Thompson, I mean, yeah. Crowder. Yeah. I mean, given the circumstances, I actually thought Gruden did a hell of a job. Yeah, yeah. When they, you know, he had the trouble with the, you know, with the safety who was mouthing off after every game. Oh, they cut him. And, yeah. and Swearinger's um, not with the team. You know, he, he tried to try to you know try to get that under control. I, I think I think you're right, Lance. I think he did okay on that. Hey, um, let me throw some Eli numbers out at you. I guess this is in a justification of where I know you guys feel we should go with the quarterback spot in 2019, but some of this stuff looked pretty good to me. Now, you can't hide the fact that we were 3-13 and 13 and 5-11. and 11. Correct. But, um, you know, in completions, he was 7th in the league with 380. Yards gained, he was ninth with 4,300. I rounded up, by the way, from 4,299. <laughs> 
Um, yards per game, he was 15th at 268. Uh, 17th in touchdowns with 21. 15th in interceptions with 11. But his interception percentage, and this is often overlooked, was less than 2%. And that's darn good. I couldn't get a number, but it's his, his um, interception percentage was less than 2%. Uh, sixth in sacks with 47. Eighth in first downs. Um, sixth in 20-plus yard completions, 57. And sixth in 40-plus yards completion with 10. So, by the way, so in other words, that whole idea that he was turned into captain checkdown at the start of the year, that kind of went by the wayside there pretty quickly, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did on those on those 20. I was a little surprised by that. I didn't think he was captain checkdown. But when you look at these numbers, those are, those are pretty good numbers. He was 11th in drops with 19 drops officially, I guess. By, I think it was pro football focus that was, was uh, where I found these numbers, plus, plus the NFL uh, stats. But, um, hey, those are pretty good numbers. Um, you know, I know you feel the same way. And, I mean, I think he's the quarterback in 19, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets, a, if he gets an extension well, I and think... he's, he's challenging. And I guess that's a way of saying I don't think they should go quarterback at, at six. Um, well, it depends. I, I, Listen, I, I, Len, I, it, it comes down to what they think of this class, which is not nearly as deep as last year's class. And I brought this up on yesterday's show, and I think this is an important conversation that the Giants need to have. And thanks for the call, they Len. We to, yeah, appreciate you weighing in. They need to ask themselves, where does a guy like Haskins rank in comparison to Mayfield and Rosen and Allen? And all of these other guys, Darnold, well, and guys that were that, in last year's class. And guys that might be coming out in next year's class. Correct. But I think it may be a little bit easier to do it from the previous year's class as opposed to right. project. Because you don't know truly who everyone that is going to come out, though, in 2020. That's true. Well, you know, also, sometimes guys wait till it's very late. Quite frankly, even if these quarterbacks, and I don't know how what they think about these quarterbacks, and Dwayne Haskins declared two days ago, yes. which is, you know, he's probably going to be the first quarterback off the board. Though a lot of time to go. You know, how they compare to those five guys is, I'm not going to say irrelevant, but what if there's no Saquon there to pick either? You know what I mean? It's not that they didn't like the quarterbacks last year. They just yeah. like Saquon that much better. You know what I mean? 100% I'm with you, John. I guess what I'm bringing that point up is, is that you could be considered the top quarterback in your class, but it may be a significant drop-off from what a number one or a number two ranked quarterback is in a previous year's class. So just because you're the top guy doesn't mean that you're the top guy by a huge margin. Are you a franchise quarterback? Exactly. So so you don't just settle on, well, let's take the top-ranked quarterback simply because we're high in the draft, we may need a future quarterback, and many consider him the top guy. Well, that doesn't mean that at the end of the day, he's 10 times better than the previous year's class, two-year's class, and so forth. So that's why I think it's important for the giant scouting department, their front office, to put things in perspective. Okay, this is what Haskins does well. This is his upside, but is he above and beyond what last year's class is? Is he a tad lower than that? So that's why I think that conversation is extremely important well, do you when think people a, have that debate. Is he a quarterback that you think can lead you to a Super Bowl at some point? Or is he a guy that's just going to be a starter and be okay? If he's the latter, you don't pick him at six. If he is, then yeah, you sure as hell think about it. And I haven't looked at Haskins yet, so I don't have an opinion on it. Uh, I'm going to do that after the senior bowl. I have about... 
30 guys on the lookout before I go to Mobile in a week. So I got to focus on those guys first. Well, and um, they're saying that this hard. is a pretty good senior bowl class compared to previous years. I tell you, the quarterback, what I've the read quarterback class is excellent. You got Greer, Locke, the Jones kid, since he graduated after his junior year, he's going to be there. He Locke and Jones right now, I'm from what I'm reading the tea leaves and talking to people around the league, they are both probably going to sneak into the first round. And I think Drew Locke's the guy this year that because he is such a big arm and physically is impressive, he's going to blow away all these like, you know, pro days, workouts, and that sort of thing. So that's where I'm at in terms of the quarterbacks. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. But they got a couple. Sweat's going to be there as a pass rusher. The Kentucky kid's going to be there as a pass rusher. You got a couple good offensive linemen, especially inside. So, yeah, it's going to be a pretty strong senior bowl group. And usually, and we talk about this during the draft, the second and third round is full of guys that were at the Senior Bowl. So, for the Giants' second-round pick, it could very well, much like last year with Hernandez, yeah. it could be someone that was well, at the Senior and Bowl. Also, just as a means of comparison, Indianapolis, which is having a hell of a run here and is dangerous team and turned things around after a 1-5 start, they were picking right around the Giants, John, and they got Braden Smith and they got Darius Leonard. So, I mean, look at the impact that those two second-round players played. Right. And the reason I bring that up is everybody emphasizes the sixth overall pick, but as we mentioned, it's the meat and potatoes of the draft, not just who you take in the first round. Yeah, Braden Smith's impact on that team has been way underrated. And Quentin Nelson deserves all the credit in the world, so does Darius Leonard. But Braden Smith has stepped in and been a good right tackle for them. Yeah, considering all the injuries. See, people forget, they lost Matt Slauson, their starting center, and then Joe Haig, who they were moving around. Both of those guys were lost yeah. very early in the season. Mm -hmm. So their plan was not to put Braden Smith in from day one. But they had to and as a result of the injuries. He's done a great job. Uh, we lost internet here, folks, so... I'm not going to look anything up for you, but I can still take your calls at 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Antonio in Philadelphia is up next. What's up, Antonio? Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up, pal? Well, not so much. Um, just want to talk about the upcoming drafts. I believe these next two drafts for the Giants is going to be very critical. Every draft the, is critical. Yeah, every draft is critical, but I believe the, 20, the 2019 and the 2020 draft is going to be very critical right now. Sure. Uh, let's just say the Giants don't like any of these quarterbacks in this in this draft, and they pass on drafting the quarterback in 2019. Now, let's just say in 2019, in 2019 season, the Giants go, let's just say, 10 and 6. And they make it to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And right now, they after that, they'd probably be drafting probably in the 20s. Sure. So, so therefore, they're probably going to screw themselves out of getting one of these guys in the 2020 draft. And that's trade up, and, though. Antonio, that's the real trick. And that's what we talked about last year, where when you're in the position to get a quarterback and you don't have to do anything to get them, that's when it makes the most sense to do it. Now, they thought Barkley was the better player. It's hard to argue with them based on what we saw this year. But you're right, and that's why one thing the Giants could try to do, again, if they decide that one of these quarterbacks this year isn't for them, and I don't know what they're thinking in that regard, and they know they have to find one next year, what they could try to do in this year's draft, or with veteran players, is move guys, try to acquire as much draft capital in 2020 as possible, so you have multiple picks, where if you want to go do what the Rams did to get Goff, or what the Eagles did to go get Wentz, 
you can do something like that. So trading three or four picks to get into the top five isn't going to kill you. So it, you're 100% right. That could be a problem. But that's why you have to prepare in advance. And that's why maybe you trade down and pick up extra picks in 2020. Maybe you trade a veteran player for a 2020 pick. However you want to do it, that's how you accumulate the capital so that you control the draft. We've heard people use that expression before with the Browns when they've when under um, uh, Sashi Brown they acquired all those draft picks, Lance, that they control the draft. That's kind of what the Giants might have to do to put themselves in position in 2020 if they decide one of those guys it's, is the next great thing. Yeah, you collect assets to then make a move later on. Correct. That's exactly yeah. what Cleveland did. Accumulated a boatload of picks and then tried to package it together to make some maneuvers here. And there is never, and Antonio, if you're getting a franchise quarterback, there is never too big of a price to pay. That's how important that position is. Right. Um, first question. This guy, Haskins from Ohio State, was he a first-year starter or a two-year starter? First-year starter. Okay. Um, I, I guess that's not good enough. You know, just uh, I don't know if that's necessarily an indication. Yeah, and Antonio, I wouldn't write him off just because of that. I'm with Lance. Look at his tape. If you think he has the tape to be a franchise quarterback, you pick him. If you don't, you don't. At six, you have to get a great player. And if they don't think right. Haskins is a great player, they're not going to pick him there. I mean, there's right. been, there's been for, to use a sports parallel, there are basketball players that are in the NBA that started playing basketball in high school or at the latter stages of high school, and then just developed later on in life, had the skill set, just never were put in position to thrive. So I wouldn't read too much into how many years they were a starter and so forth. Okay. Well, hopefully the Jets could, like, I don't know, probably sneak back in to the first round and then probably end up drafting someone like Daniels or Haskins, probably in the late first round. Well, so you never I, don't, know. I don't know if he's going to fall there. Look, here's the thing. Uh, there will be a quarterback picked in the top 10 in this draft because there always is usually. Whether or not two quarterbacks go in the top 15 or top 20, I don't know. And here's the problem, and, and this is something I know Tatino's brought up a lot, and I, and I actually argue with him off the air about it, but now he's not here, so I can say whatever I want. Um, <laughs> I, I know people made a big deal about the Giants accumulating all these draft picks. Yeah, it's great. What do they have, 11 picks, I think, in, in, in the draft this year? They're projected to have 11. Yeah, they officially the, have nine right based now. Based on the compensatory. Correct. Great. Nine of them are on day three. You know, right. if, if you're sitting there with an early third-round pick or to trade down in the first round, I don't want to sound crass. Teams don't give a darn about fifth-round draft picks. When you're talking about moving up into the first round or early third-round picks, no, no, no. you got to trade twos and threes and, and early fours. High That's your only chance. Yeah, they might be able to move up within the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. Like, if you're picking, let's say, uh, let's say you're picking in the compensatory part of the of the fifth round, which is like the 35th pick in the round, let's say, and you want to move up to the 15th pick in the round. Then, yeah, you can move fifth-round picks or sixth-round picks or seventh-round picks to do that. Absolutely. But you're not – like, if, if you're picking sixth in the second round, right, and you want to move up to the 22nd pick in the first round, you could offer a team all nine of your day three picks. They're going to tell you to kick rocks. They don't care about that. They want – picks in the first two days of the draft. Yeah, the only way that I see the Giants making a move like that in the first round is if you combine draft picks and a player, John. That's a great point. I mean, that, that's really the only realistic way that they probably could do that. Or, you know, I can see them maybe moving up even in the fourth round with some of the assets they have, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. But, yeah, it, it would be three a stretch moves. Yeah, and for that to happen earlier. Maybe you can move into the end of the third round if you trade your pick at the top of the fourth round. 
and add assets to that. You could do something like that. But moving back into a, getting a second second round pick or moving into the top five in the third round, I think that would be very, very difficult given the fact, um, given the draft picks the Giants have at their disposal. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'll be wrong, but generally you don't see a lot of day three picks moved to move up on day one or two of the draft. you got to trade real assets for that. Yeah, I mean, that's basically, yeah, we'll take two third-rounders, a fourth-rounder, and a fifth-rounder. Just give us volume as opposed to substance. Most teams are not going to fall for no, that trick. No, usually not. Yeah. Okay, thank you, guys. You got it, Antonio. Thank Appreciate you, Antonio. the phone call. That's been one thing that's one been. I, I haven't been on in, like, more than a week, so I have all these things <laughs> that have been boiling inside of me that I've been dying to get out, and that was one of them. So thank you, Antonio. I appreciate that. No, I, I think that's a realistic take in terms of, listen, volume of picks is good, but also in Cleveland's regard, which we were bringing up earlier, Cleveland had much higher picks, though. To toy yeah, they with. had a bunch yeah. of picks in the first two days of the draft. They, they didn't have a bunch of sixth and seventh rounders and said, you know, hey, let's put together a package of five picks, John, and try to convince a team five picks is a lot, so we'll be able to move up in the first round as a result of that. Doesn't work. A lot of GMs have been around the block. They don't fall for that. Yet again, if you're at pick 90 in the draft, and you're 15 picks away with your first fourth round pick, or however well, however the math works out, then yeah, you can package your two fours and a five to move back up into the third. Sure, that you can do, absolutely. But you're not moving from the second round to the first round by trading fourth and fifth round picks. It's just not going to happen. 201-939-4513. And if anything, again, I would consider trading down in this draft if you want to try to acquire more future assets in 2020. I think that would be really something to think about. Jeff in Rhode Island is up next. Hey, Jeff. Hey, fellas. How you doing, doing today? Doing great. What's up? All right, Jeff. Good. I, uh, you kinda, I had a couple of questions for you. You kind of uh, already answered one <clears throat> in regard to uh, Haskins. Uh, All right. Well, it was good talking to you, Jeff. We'll speak to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Presum presumably, this is going to be Eli's... Uh, last year with the Giants, and Maybe. to me, I, I don't see Haskins as being having enough value to be uh, the sixth pick overall in the draft. I, that's just the way I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so part, one of my questions was, okay, we keep Eli is our starter this year, which is probably going to happen. So where will we go next year to get a quarterback? And number two, I uh, was curious as to... Uh, what position you guys think that the uh, Giants should draft uh, with their first pick in this coming draft? Not a player, just a position-wise. Well, again, and, if, if, yeah. if Jeff, if, if they think one of those quarterbacks is worthy of that pick in a franchise quarterback, go for it. I'm all for it. But if you go yeah. by strength of the draft, I think you're looking at a pass rusher or a defensive lineman, and then maybe an offensive tackle if you really like Jonah Williams out of Kentucky or, or Little out of NC State. I think... Those are the picks, based on the depth of the draft lands, that, that, that you would be looking at in that first round. Yeah, I think the lack of sack production, the lack of pressure throughout this season certainly calls for the Giants to go after a pass rusher, uh, whether it be uh, an outside linebacker or whether it be somebody on the defensive line if James Betcher wants to mix and match. And the right side of the offensive line I still think is an area that they can improve. So if there's a right tackle that's worthy of taking then I think that makes sense. Also, you know, versatility to me is important. So if it's a right tackle that has the ability to move over to left in the pinch, you know, that makes that player even more attractive. Those, to me, are the top priorities from a positional standpoint, Jeff, as you yeah, asked. Yeah, And yeah, I think I, that's I, the direction to go. I agree with that. Uh, but as it stands right now, it seems to me that the defense needs a little more work than the offense does. And uh, I agree with as you. Of right now, as of right now, I'd be going with me the too. best uh, you know, best edge rusher around. So, well, okay, Dave, guys. thank you, Jeff. Appreciate yeah, you the got call. You. And Dave Gettleman, good, you too. You as Dave, well. Dave Gettleman's going to go with the best player available. He reiterated that um, again. He thinks position value is hogwash. He wants great football players. He doesn't care where they play. 
you can agree or disagree with him, but that's how he thinks, and that's what the Giants are going to do. But if you look at his draft history, you could tell he likes picking defensive linemen, and this is a defensive line draft. Now, they already have B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson inside, so I don't think they'll go out of their way to draft another defensive tackle, though Dave gave the example of in Carolina when he drafted like three defensive tackles in a row. Yeah, so one year, yeah, he did that. I wouldn't take anything out of out a possibility there, but I think they'll have an opportunity to draft a very good pass rusher when they pick sixth. Well, because one of the things Dave Gettleman brought up, and you know, we've seen that within the division, you just never know when injuries are going to strike, John. No. So that's why you can never have enough stock and substance at a specific position, because you go into a season thinking, hey, these are going to be the 11 guys that are going to play all 16 games. It's just not going to happen. It's an unrealistic game plan. And the Giants, they lost a number of key playmakers. You lost Landon Collins again. You lost Odell Beckham. If you don't have another good safety, you don't have another reliable wide receiver, there's going to be a downgrade in terms of the production. So the teams that have depth are the teams that go the furthest in this league and the teams that get to the playoffs. I just talked about the Colts and the offensive line injuries they had. Well, that's why they were able to put in the rookies who they drafted high, and those guys produced. And you could pick out a few other teams. How about the Philadelphia Eagles within the NFC East division? This is the second straight year, John. Everybody talked about last year, how they overcame so many injuries. Think about the guys they lost this year, too, in the secondary. I mean, they're bringing in Cravon LeBlanc, who is John's favorite player. He's just not willing to admit it on the air here. You know, he's now the starting cornerback. And, you know, Avante Maddox, who's a safety in a corner. Young, unproven guys. I know LeBlanc's more of a veteran. Sewell Douglas, go yeah, through, the, name, go through I mean, the names. You know, but these guys are producing when they need them to. LeBlanc made a number of plays against his former team, the Bears. You need that, or else... You're not getting to the playoffs, or it's going to be one and done in the postseason. We've seen that time and time again. If you're a good player, you'll find a way to get on the field, no matter where they pick them. So I think that's how Dave Gettleman looks at it. Uh, he also asked about the quarterback deal. I'm sure you and Paul talked about that a lot at nauseum the last couple of days. So I'll just throw my thing out there real quick. Again, the Eli Manning decision is not one that's made in a vacuum, okay? That's the problem. A lot of people just want to say, ah, oh, I'm done with Eli. Let's get rid of him. Well, who's next? You know, it's not just get rid of Eli. There's a then what to, you know, to the equation. And I'm sure, aside from looking at Eli's tape, which Dave Gettleman said, I'm, I'm sure he's also evaluating what their other options are. You know, you can't just say get rid of Eli and then we'll figure it out. That's ir- that's irresponsible, and it's frankly it's stupid. No one no one's gonna say that. So, what are your options? Do you like one of these guys in the draft? I'm sure he's gonna get reports from you know Chris Pettit, his director of college scouting, and the rest of the. Giant scouting department here on uh, the kid out of Duke, Locke, Haskins, and one of these guys Greer a realistic option. Too. Yeah, yeah, Greer. You know, go go through the names. Are one of those guys a real option? Maybe. Okay. Well, then maybe maybe we can make a move. Or are none of those guys even ready to play right away? So even if you want to draft one of those guys, do you want Eli here to nurture him? That's another thing you got to consider. Or is there a veteran people like? What are the Eagles going to do with their quarterback situation? And the longer they go in the playoffs, the tougher it's going to be to figure out what they are going to do. Are they going to try to keep Nick Foles around? They have a $20 million option on him. Do they try to trade Nick Foles? I imagine they'll try to get something for the guy rather than just let him go, right? you got to figure. Why would you? Or do you, do they, God forbid, could you imagine if they try to trade Carson Wentz? Well, I don't see that happening. Neither do I. I think Uh, it's silly, but considering people are calling Nick Foles the best big game quarterback in NFL history, I throw anything out there as a possibility. No, and I'm with you, and I know a lot of speculation. I actually, I did a show with Bill Polian last night on Sirius. We had a big conversation about this, John. Wow, he he put up with you for four hours? Yeah, unfortunately. God bless him. Boy, the decision-making that goes on outside of the Giants organization (laughs) leaves a lot to be desired. I'm with you. 
And I asked him point blank, and he said from the people that he's spoken to in the Philadelphia organization, they are still very high on Carson Wentz. And they they should believe be. he's the future of the organization. And they should be. They just want to make sure that he's well-rested and fully healthy, and they're confident that this back injury is not going to linger with rest. It'll take care of itself. He'll be ready to go week one. So all this speculation about them moving him I don't think has much substance behind it. However, I did throw out what I've thrown out on this program, and you just hinted at it. What about Nick Foles' comfort in Philadelphia? Who's to say that he wants to pursue the free agent market? See, that's where I don't think a lot of people are thinking. Nick Foles has ties to Doug Peterson going back to Kansas City. He's basically thriving in Philadelphia as a result of the Wentz's injuries. He has an opportunity to maybe take this team to -to back-to-back deep postseason runs. Maybe at this point in his career, John, he says, while the money's great, I also know where my bread is buttered, and I know that I'm thriving here, maybe he's willing to stay. He hasn't I, made a ton of money, though, in his he career. And he can get a big payday. I get where you're coming from, but boy, I mean, anyway, we don't want to spend time No, on but it, it, I but, think these are all yeah, things that right. certainly the players, the team has to think about, but it, it, Wentz is not being traded in my mind. And, and neither, neither do I. I was throwing out there just as a no, hypothetical. I know you were, yeah. Um, that's the unknown, though. You know, do they like Nick Foles even here? What is Pat Shermer's relationship with him from his time there in Philadelphia from when he was there with Chip Kelly? You know, these are all questions, and, and before that, these are all questions I don't know the answer to. What do they? What does Shermer think of Teddy Bridgewater, who we had in Minnesota? I don't know the answer to that question. Obviously, he speaks highly of these guys, but Pat Shermer's never going to go out there and say anything negative about a former player publicly. So I don't know how they think of these veterans that are out there. So until they evaluate that market and decide if there's a better option— Look, Eli is what he is at this point. We know what Eli can do. We know what he can't do. And we know what he's good at. And we know what has to be around him for him to succeed. He's not a perfect player. But is there a better player out there that makes sense in the marketplace, financially, with how the roster is built, to bring here to replace him? I don't know if there is. Yeah, you have to have plan B ready before you're ready to move on from option A. But, but here's the other thing that, to me, is interesting. And Gettleman says, listen, it's a collaborative effort. He always wants input from his coaches. What I think is interesting about this year's potential free agent class, John, is Pat Shermer has had experience with both of those quarterbacks we just threw out. And that's rare. You know, normally you hear about a guy, Shermer may have, you know, worked with a coach who worked with Foles. Shermer's got direct interaction with both Foles and Bridgewater, as well as Eli. And he watched Bridgewater go through a horrific injury Exactly. So when Gettleman sits down and talks to Shermer about their off-season plan, which I'm sure they're assessing now, and, you know, he'll ask him, listen, you were with Teddy. You were with Nick. What do you think of them? What do you think their upside is? Based on the offense that you guys have implemented, do you think that they can thrive with the personnel? So that, I think brings even more in-depth analysis to the table, John, than maybe if you don't have nearly as much experience with those guys. Yeah, and look, I think the other thing you got to look at, too, we've seen Philly structure their whole system and change their offense to help Nick Foles succeed. The way Pat Shermer wants to run his offense, does Nick Foles fit into that? Can he succeed in that situation? What does he think about that? I don't know. And that's something that they're going to have to talk about and figure out. Well, and that's why, before we move on, that's why if I'm Foles, I'm thinking hard, am I thriving because of what Philadelphia has done for me and the system, John? 
Whereas if I leave, remember, he went to the Rams. He wasn't doing anything. It was a disaster. As effective as what he did in his first stint in Philadelphia. So, you know, those are the things that I've got to think about with Foles. And I granted, you, you bring up a great point. The money's unbelievable. It may be more than he's ever made. But at the same time, do you have an opportunity to continue your career, have it long-lasting, and a legitimate start opportunity in case Wentz is, let's say, not ready to go week one. And he's only 29, too. So he, you yeah. know, he can still put roots down somewhere and spend a long time there. But Absolutely. yeah, it'll be an interesting decision for all parties involved. Back to the phones. Mel in D.C. on line two. What's up, Mel? How you doing? Doing great, Mel. What's going on? Um, I want to say one thing. Number 10 is going to be on the center for 2019. Let's get that out the way. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people out there talking a bunch of nonsense about we need a running quarterback, we need this, we need that. We don't. We need Eli Manning. Um, he's not the quarterback that's going to go out there and put up 50 points. Um, they're looking at Pat Mahomes and all this. Let's just get that out. Um, and by the way, Mel, I want to throw this out there real quick. Look at the quarterbacks that won last week. They all have something in common, and they're all pretty much pocket passers. Just putting it exactly. out there. Yeah, look, Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, both out of the playoffs. Russell Wilson out of the playoffs. And by the way, he's also a good pocket thrower. Dak Prescott's the one exception to that rule. But the other guys, all guys that want to throw out of the pocket. And Watson and Jackson were sacked 10 times combined in last weekend's games. Yep. Um, I want to talk about the draft. Um, sure. I think that, that the number six pick, Josh Allen, um, Allen out of Kentucky is our, is our guy. Um, I'm psyched to see him in Mobile. He has the he has the traits. Uh, he has it to uh, turn around and be a great dynamic player. Um, going on, I want to uh, also. I think we need to take a good look at Dakota Allen out of Texas Tech. He's a great cover linebacker. Um, tight ends and running backs out the backfield has been our Achilles heel for too long. We need to really address that this year, and hopefully, going from there, that'll help the defense. We'll get some things on there. We can put that fifth Lombardi Trophy up in the closet. Awesome, Mel. Thank you, buddy. All right. Good Appreciate call. the phone call. Yeah, I'm, i got to admit, I'm not that familiar with Dakota Allen. I'm not. I've not done my work on that yet, and on any of my draft work, really. That starts next week as we try to get all these inside the film rooms as we review the 2018 season out of the way. <laughs> um, I have my list of guys at the Senior Bowl, and Josh Allen is one of the guys that are going to be at the Senior Bowl, which is exciting. Uh, Montez Sweat's another guy. Two big-time pass rushers that I'll get an up-close look at. I look forward to giving you and Paul the reports next week. Uh, from Mobile on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be a practice for all three guys. So that, that should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Remember, I found you guys Will Hernandez last year. I will try to find you somebody this year again. The unsung heroes of the Senior Bowl. Absolutely. Well, this is the time of the year where the Giants are going to be focusing on who potentially to target in the draft. And Lance loves his draft talk. So I absolutely love this draft talk. Yes, can't get enough of it. Love the speculation for the next four months. Especially this early. Lay out all the hypotheticals. Well, you know, it's just... It's so early in the process. It's way too early. That it, for people to come to conclusions about players and where they're going to go and the draft order is likely going to change, John, things are going to happen that we Trades will get have never anticipated. It, it's one thing to me, it's better to focus on players and their potential than where they're going to eventually end up. That, that's how I like to go about the draft evaluation. So, for example, when we were talking about quarterbacks last year, it was a matter of who am I high on? Who do I think has the opportunity to succeed no matter what team they go to? That's how I look at players as opposed to he's got to go here or else all hell is going to break. Now, you, you have to follow college football a lot more closely than I do for your serious gig when you do Mad Dog Radio. Yeah. What, what's your take on Haskins from watching him this year? Because I, I've, I've watched him play like two quarters of football, so I literally don't have any opinion. What do you think? Well, I will seen? say this about Haskins. Compared to 
some of the other quarterbacks in recent history that have been at Ohio State, and they've tended to be mobile guys that are not necessarily pure pocket passers. Haskins is the best resemblance of a pocket passer, in my opinion. Thank you. I've heard people call him a mobile quarterback, but I watched him play no. in the Rose Bowl, and I'm like, this guy isn't mobile at all. No, not well, and that's why I think that that's an important notation to make because, yeah. like JT Barrett, for example who was Ohio State, JT Barrett was a guy that, I mean, they would unleash out of the pocket, and the guy could run and run and run. Haskins is not like that to me. Haskins, you put him in the pocket, guy's going to serve it, they feel he's going to throw. I 100% agree. So that's what's refreshing. Now, in fairness, I want to go back and watch a little bit more film on him and, and some highlights because while I did follow Ohio State, I didn't have an opportunity to watch, just like I don't have an opportunity to watch every single college as closely as I would like. You're looking at it more from a big-picture, generic perspective. But that's what's intriguing to me about Haskins, John, compared to other Ohio State quarterbacks that I was like, okay, you know, they're putting points on the board, but I don't know necessarily if they're franchise quarterbacks. He, to me, is at least worthy of having that conversation. However, is he as impressive to me as a Baker Mayfield or even a Kyler Murray out of Oklahoma? And there's no guarantee that Murray's going to come out. I don't know if I would go to that degree. Okay. Okay. I would say a tad below. But Dan Salmo tells me he's the best quarterback in the history of college football. Well, that's coming from a true Buckeyes fan. Yeah. So you always have to understand where the messenger resides from. Behind only like Cardell Jones, according to but, Well, oh, Cardell. Well, kidding. if Cardell Jones is at the top of his list, yeah. then I think we should reassess Dan's <laughs> ability to evaluate quarterbacks. We're only giving him a hard time. But the one other thing that I wanted to throw out, uh, Greer intrigues me a bit, John. I want to see how the combine plays out. I want to see how the draft process And he'll be at the senior bowl, too. Yeah, and he'll be at the senior bowl. He's a name that I'm going to keep close tabs on because I I think he could potentially be on the rise, and he may not go as high as some of these other quarterbacks, but if you can get him late, I would be willing to maybe dangle my feet with him a little bit. 201-939-4513. Two more calls. We'll say before we say goodbye. Joe in Pennsylvania is up next. Hello, Joe. Hey, uh, John. Happy New Year's. Uh, You too. Uh, it, it is. It's like a soap opera. We don't know what, what's what's going to happen, you know. But the quarterback from Penn State, every time he played Ohio State, I forget his name there. McSorley. Trace McSorley, like, who's, who's not yeah, very good. He seemed like he outplayed the guy from Ohio State for me. He's, he, he, he's, he's a competitor, but he's small. So I, I'm not sure what to say there. Yeah, Joe, here's, you, Joe, Joe, here's the funny thing real quick. I watched, I, had, I watched a lot of Trace McSorley last year when I was watching Saquon Barkley. Do you know how many really good skill position players Penn State had coming out in that draft last year? And I looked at why they didn't win a lot of games, and you can do the math. <laughs> Whatever. Do you think by any chance uh, I'm going to put this up past them that Gettleman anyway would ask Eli and him to renew his contract? What do you mean by renew? Extend, you mean the contract? Meaning, give him an additional uh, to, year. To, to, uh, I guess they want to cut cut him down and that, and bring him back for a year or two. So you're talking about restructuring the contract, yeah, essentially. Okay. I think that's possible. Yes. Okay. Okay. So uh, right, I wouldn't put that a past that past them. And and I was just thinking, all these quarterbacks. If I was a top quarterback in that in next year twenties or so, all these other ones are coming out. I think I'd come out in nineteen, wouldn't you? Too, I mean, I really want to look at that, you know. I mean, that you may go higher and get a better price, you know. So uh, it's something that they should look at. What I want to bring up, you had a see in the game, because I get ticked off with these refs. You had to see that play called in the Eagles-Bear game where... I knew he was going there. 
right there. Well, did you see the play you, you, where it was a reception? They, yeah, and then it was a fumble. Steps, but just yeah. because the ref picked up the ball, they said it, it, they can't. Well, they, they, they can't. Get I mean, they didn't. Did you see that? Yeah, no, I know exactly what play you're talking about. First of all, I mean, the NFL didn't make up that rule. That rule previously existed. It's just extremely rare. We haven't seen an occurrence like it, this. It was yeah, in the case book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but let me just say here. Now, this, it just don't make sense. He caught, he caught the ball, the receiver. He took three steps. Yep. But because nobody picked up the ball, it, it, it goes back to it. It, it gets to, ruled it, as it an incompletion. As a reception. Correct. That's but the rule. If you, if you catch the ball and, and take three steps, it's a fine thing. And, and drop the ball and it rolls out of bounds. It, it it goes back to the team that had the ball. Correct, exactly. That's the position right. it, where they it, would take it, over. The rules don't make sense. And that's fair. Really, I, it is so stupid. I don't disagree it, with that. Joe, see, that to me is completely different. It's one thing to correct. say the rule doesn't make sense. It's another thing to say the NFL has no idea what the hell it's talking about. The NFL they, made that rule. They didn't make it up. What what I have a problem with, Joe, but... but he, and it was actually was called correctly correct. based and, on the and rule. And that's book. what's yes. important to emphasize. And, Joe, I don't disagree with your sentiments, but here's the other part that I'm irritated about. It is common sense for players. It should be instinctual, John, okay? The ball's on the floor. I don't care whether you think you caught it, you don't know you caught it, you go after the football. There was about three or four minutes, it seemed like, I'm exaggerating, that went by. It was like 30 seconds, yeah. though. And then, of course, then the official picked up the football. But, I mean, well, yeah, you got to well, know they, to go they, after they the football. They were blowing it dead, and he was waving his arms. So, I mean, that always pick up the ball. Always go after the football. Joe, too. I can tell you, yeah. in, in practice here, under Perry Fuel, under Steve Spagnuolo, under James Betcher, Scoop and score, pick up the ball if you're a defensive player when it's on the field during training it's, camp, even after the whistle, is something they teach every single day here. Well, every well, day. I, oh, oh, all right. I'm just saying play through the whistle. But if you play through the whistle and you hit somebody, then they're throwing a flag. Well, I'm not saying That's hit somebody. Go after the ball. Me. Yeah, but they I know. hear you, Joe. I hear you. Oh, they, they, they messed this all up. That's all I could say on their all calls. Right. I mean, them refs, <laughs> when it goes to them, <laughs> they are the crazy. So they got to get themselves straight. Thank <laughs> you, Adam. Happy Thank New you, Joe. Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Joe, Hi, Joe. Appreciate Joe the phone call. can't stand the officials. That's great. <laughs> you can tell. Oh, he can't I mean, stand them. Whether he watches the game or not, you can tell. It's not, even, just... it's not even the Giants. He's, <laughs> got, he's getting irritated. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. want to hear the other and side. And you know what? I'll be honest. I didn't know that was the rule either. I had to go talk to the Giants rules guy. And I'm like, so, and he said, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that they look at and, well, and change next year. And they year. usually do that. The competition because committee goes back to logically the Logically, it doesn't make sense to me, too. I don't know why that doesn't turn into a reception. If there was a clear recovery by the Eagles on the play, then yeah, sure. But, yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with the logic of the rule with Joe there. But, look, the rules are the rules, and you got to apply them. Now we'll see if they leave that rule the way it is. It's kind of, it's kind of like the tuck rule. They had the tuck rule. They're like, oh, we got to change this thing. All right, final call yeah, of the show. They the catch rule, too. There's another one. Is Lance, think about how many different things true. have changed. Lance's season. best friend, Charlie oh. in Portland, Maine. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi, Charlie. How are we doing, Charlie? Good. Hey, I got a complaint. What a else gripe. is new? Why, why, why does all these head coaches think they're God's gift to play calling? If you want to play call, then be an offensive coordinator. You shouldn't be able to call plays if you're a head coach. 
It's ridiculous. McCarthy's going to want full control at the Jets. He's going to want to call all the plays, because that's what he did in Green Bay, and he had to give it up, and he didn't like it, and he's going to come back, and he's going to call all the plays. I don't. I think there should be a l- l- rule or a law saying that this is a if good you want to be head coach, call, you can't call yeah. plays. Charlie, here's Get an why, offensive coordinator. But Charlie, if you want to be an offensive coordinator, then call the plays. Charlie, here's why I completely disagree with you, okay? Let, right. Let's take a step back. Sean McVay, okay, why do you think the Rams were attracted to Sean McVay? Why, why do you think he was at the top of their list as a head coaching candidate? What, what was appealing about Sean McVay? If you would look at his resume, what, what do you think He's jumped 32 off? 32 years old. Well, That's okay, why. of course, you were going to go in an opposite direction. I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, I should have never asked play. you the well, question. Hire him as an offensive coordinator and pay but him they, big bucks No, no but they couldn't have gotten him to be their offensive well, coordinator. He's looking for a promotion. Yeah. He's not looking for an equivalent job. He was already a guy that was labeled as an OC and a play caller. So you hire him because of his ability to call plays. So now you bring him in as your head coach and you say, Sean, listen, we loved what you did in Washington, but you know what? You got to bring in another guy to all of a sudden designate those responsibilities. You stand on the sideline, you wear the headset, you look real good, you call timeouts, you decide when to challenge, and you have Joe Schmo call plays for you. I mean, that sounds like a great plan, Charlie, doesn't it? No, no, the plan is is you get good people around you. A head coach well, is supposed to be like the general. And that's He's a fair point. He's supposed to see the overall situation. He has to be an eagle. He has to see far. He can't get into the minutia of every friggin' play. Yeah, but They're looking at Charlie. their stupid card while the game's going Charlie. on. <laughs> so you're forgetting one important. You're forgetting one important part of all this. What? How much do head coaches get paid as opposed to offensive coordinators? Oh, that's what I'm saying. You pay an offensive coordinator if he's really good. You pay him close to what a head coach would uh, get. But you're not going to do that. You can't do that. It just financially doesn't work. Well, I just don't. I, I I just don't think a head coach should be calling plays. I don't think Schumer should be calling plays. I hope he lets Schumer, Schumer do it next year or this year. Well, listen, and, if, if Charles Schumer was running the Giants, I don't think he should be calling plays too. I'm not disagreeing with you, Charlie, but it's Pat Shermer that actually is calling yeah, plays. Yeah, well, last Pat time I Shermer, whatever yes. his name is, <laughs> whatever his he name shouldn't is, shouldn't be calling plays. He should bring in an offensive Details, coordinator. Details, Schumer, let him call the plays. Minor. Because these coaches have so much yeah. ego, it's unbelievable. Thank you, Charlie. Anyway, guys, I got to run. Yeah, Thank right. you. Oh, I'm glad you got to run. I'm, but I'm glad you fit us in today, Charlie. Thanks so much. Well, for, you know, he, yeah. here's the thing. If, if 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 Charlie created some kind of, like, Arnica Corporation <laughs> where they, like, sold the Arnica, right? Which is, like, healing salve. Well, but he was responsible for developing it, though, too. No, but would, would, would he want to, like, hire a C, like a CEO okay, that's a good or a COO yeah. to, 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 no. to move his Annika? No, he's going to want to do it himself. He, he thinks all the he's money the best for at himself. it. Absolutely, well, yeah. he, he thinks he's the best at it. Yeah. He's the best Annika guy. Why do you want to hire a different Annika guy who's not going to be as good making the salve? No, he's the sense. number one salve guy. He wants yeah. to make the salve himself. No, I can see that playing out accordingly. But I, I think in all seriousness... Why do you, if you hire a coach for his play calling ability, which was also, I'm sure, a big appeal with Pat Shermer, John, and what he did with Minnesota, then you're going to tell him to come in and now, listen, we love what you did, but here you're going to run it completely differently. It's just not going to work. No, eventually play out that way. If once he gets here and he grooms somebody underneath him and he... Who knows under- his system backwards and forwards. Right. Yes. Then sure, pass it on. And we've seen that happen in other places where head coaches do that. I think Sean Payton at some point did that in, in New Orleans, right? You mentioned Mike McCarthy did that in Green Bay when the guy came along underneath him. Jay Gruden did that when he was in Washington. Yeah. Well, McVay is one of the guys he helped Well, he started calling plays and he passed yeah. it on to Kyle Shanahan. And yeah. then it went down the road and down the road and down the road. 
So that's kind of how it goes. And that's okay, but you're not going to be paying your head coach $7 million a year and your offensive quarter $6.5 million a year. It doesn't work that way. And the other thing to take into consideration, if you look at it, and Shermer's been asked about this multiple times, John. He was asked about it actually at the end of the season. You know, how did the dynamics work between he and Mike Shula? And Mike Shula is the offensive coordinator. And he said, hey, there are times during games where I'll run ideas off of Mike and say, Mike, you know, where do you think we should go in terms of the direction of the play calling? And Mike instantaneously, because he was an OC at Carolina, previous college football head coach. So it's good to have somebody else to bounce those ideas off of. It's not as if Mike Shula's standing or sitting throughout the game and he's just right. a figurehead. I mean, there is a back-and-forth conversation. It's just Shermer is making the end-all, be-all decisions when it comes to what plays to relate to Eli Manning. Real quick, you're not on the rest of the week. Give me your four picks for the games over the weekend. Ooh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm with you. I think that if you're the Cowboys— the greatest thing that happened for them is the Eagles knocking off the Bears. Even though Dallas beat New Orleans, I think it's very difficult to ask them to do that twice. And win in New Orleans. Exactly. I think the Cowboys' defense is underrated. I've said that time and time again. I actually like their chances going to L.A. knocking off the Rams. As far as the Eagles and the Saints, I think the game's going to be a bit more competitive than that 48-7 lopsided affair earlier this year. But New Orleans at home, John, a well-oiled machine, a really good defense this year. I think Philadelphia's luck is going to run out. So I like New Orleans and Dallas moving on. I think we're in agreement on In those. the NFC. The AFC, I have picked the Chargers time and time again. I picked the Chargers before the season as my surprise Super Bowl pick for me to go against them would make no sense. The one thing I'm worried about, though, John, is the rumors about the forecast <laughs> do not make me feel warm and cozy. And the Patriots, by the way, 8-0 and at home this year. And the Patriots have, I believe, an eight-game postseason winning streak at home. It's been a while. With that being said, though— yeah. F- f- Phillip Rivers in the snow doesn't make me no. feel comfortable. With that being said, though, John, I think the other thing that people are overlooking is the Chargers have been road warriors this season. They have not lost a game outside of California this year. And playing at home was pretty much a road game for them, too, so they better be good at home. <laughs> exactly. Well said. <laughs> Every time they've gotten on an airplane this year, they've won. Yes, exactly. and, and this is, you know, we always talk about Eli Manning some years not having a great defense. I've talked about this with Tony Romo not having good defense. Rivers finally, I think, has some balance on no, this team. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes them dangerous. I'm going to say Chargers going to New England regardless of the weather. Roll the dice. Knock off the Patriots. I'm going to stick with them. And I like the Colts going into Arrowhead and knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm very high on the Colts. I love what Frank Reich has done. I love their offensive line. I don't love Kansas City's defense, John. Okay, you could tell me all you want about their 52 sacks, and Chris Jones has had a marvelous season. I actually think if this gets to be an offensive clinic, I think that favors Indianapolis. Much more so than Kansas City. I don't care if it's the minority opinion. I'm not afraid to say it. The Colts have a balanced attack. Go with the balanced attack in the postseason. I like both wild card teams facing off in the AFC Championship game. And I like Dallas, New Orleans in a rematch from Thanksgiving. Lance telling you like it is. Indeed. So you're going to now leave us all hanging, and you'll tell me off the air and tell the No, I'll get to wait till Friday. Wait till Friday. Okay, that's fair. I think we're online on some. I think... I think you're a little. You don't seem I to think, be in agreement with me on the AFC side, and that's fine. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm honestly haven't made my decision on Chargers Patriots yet. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Okay, but I you, don't know where I'm going there. I, I have a hard time picking against Kansas City in Kansas City. The Andy Reid curse is something that's in the back well, of my mind. I'm not Chargers lie. also went into Arrowhead this year and knocked off the Chiefs. Yeah, I just, that was their lone loss. I don't, I don't think the Colts defense is that good either. To be quite honest with you, they're very conservative. They make guys extend drives, but. I think the Chiefs can put up a 30 spot on them. And I love the Colts. I think Andrew Luck's wonderful. I told you, I think he's the top three quarterback in the league right now when the Giants face him. So I think he's great. Um, I think that's going to be 
I think it's gonna be a good game. I think it'll be high scoring, but I think the I think the Chiefs will eventually win that. Anyway. Good stuff, Lance. Absolutely. Enjoy the, enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see you tomorrow. It's me and Detino on Big Blue Kickoff Live back at our normal off-season time at noon. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a pleasant afternoon. Have a good one.